This presentation is brought to you by the Australia India Institute, based at the University of Melbourne. on a community station called 3CR. And um, what we, we had in February was a broadcast of a four-part interview, uh, so a documentary series called We Weren't Born Yesterday. And each of us, four producers, took uh, an episode each. So we had a Vietnamese episode, a Chinese episode, an Arabic episode, and an Indian episode. And what we did in this series was um, actually, it all started with a few conversations within our collective about our experiences as queer uh, migrants and as queer people of color. Um, we talked about the peculiar situation that we find ourselves in, often experiencing a certain degree of disconnect from what is the broader queer community and also a disconnect from our families and our ethnic background in many ways. Um, so we decided we wanted to speak to other people from of, of our background who, who also identify as gay, lesbian, bisexual, or transgender, and talk about experiences through life stories, narratives, and um, talk about art, talk about film, talk about writing, literature, anything basically that, that comes up. Um, I must say that my episode, the, the episode about Indian, uh, Indian Australian. Um, gay and lesbian uh, individuals, as well as um, yeah, uh, Indian migrants who identify as queer, uh, was more about life history. So I talked to people about their experiences, any you know, specific stories that they had to tell. And I think I came up with a, with a bunch of interesting um, narratives in my, in my documentary. So what I'm going to do today is I'm going to play specific parts of the documentary snippets um, in order to give you a sense of the kind of people I spoke to as well as their stories. I thought I could present by repeating their stories or retelling their narratives, but I thought, you know, since it's a radio documentary, um, I, I would just play bits of it so that you get a, a sense directly of what they said, plus, I guess, also who they were, in a, in a sense. Um, so other than that, uh, the things that mentioned I am doing a PhD and in that I do ethnography of a different kind I interview journalists from India and um, I talk about their experiencing experiences in covering new social movements um, so I talk about political coverage I talk about their relationships with governments and civil society activists um, and that's the kind of ethnography I do in for my thesis so my thesis is about politics and uh, New social movements and the media in India. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to play different parts and I'm going to maybe reflect on each segment and I'll try and keep everything within the time uh, that we have here. And if we do run over time, I'll just uh, I'll give you an overview of some of the other salient topics that came up. All right. Something I find really hard to question whether I'm here or not. It's just too too great. Um, with regards to being Indian and queer, um, 
I think uh, something I've noticed is that um, I've benefited to some degree from potentially the naivety in migrant communities towards um, queer, uh, being queer. Um, we're still in Australia um, living in a, um, an Indian community <coughs> where, um, where you can actually uh, live without knowing a single queer person who shares that same cultural identity potentially, um, particularly in the sort of more classical music and dance circles. So, um, so yeah, I think there was a sense of naivety that, that still exists that I kind of grew up around. Um, and, uh, but I think um, the, the idea of being in the closet um, is, is a very sort of uh, emotionally aware um, kind of thing to do. I think a lot of people in, in our community are driven to be in the closet because of concern for others. Um, and so I, I don't associate it with negative thoughts at all. I, I think it's, a, yeah, it's often a very self-aware, um, socially conscious practice um, that you know, needs to take its own time to change. I've noticed that I've been able to, uh, you know, be queer without having to explain, uh, and also when I explain, not being met with preconceptions because it's potentially a new concept um, that then is defined by how I want to express it, not by how the media might have or how um, uh, the people I'm coming out to in the community might have encountered it, um, because it is notably absent in, in the popular culture that they interact with. Uh, so the preconceptions are not there, and it's quite, quite liberating actually. I think. Um, in, in the minds of people that have sort of had to interact with, with me coming out, um, often, uh, often they've sort of drawn a line and said, well, there's Eastern culture and there's Western culture, and um, being queer falls on the Western side. Um, and so, so they, because the, they've only seen and represented potentially those, those forums, um, um, and that kind of media and, and Western you know, movie and, and whatnot. So, so they, you know, they're sort of saying, well, it's notably absent from our popular sort of paradigm, so it must come from the West, and therefore um, being queer is suddenly a questioning of my Indian identity, which, um, which, which I think is something that comes from that sort of, uh, perhaps, uh, not much, of, um, from not having much of a life experience of various types of queer people and different people that might have had different journeys. I wanted to start with that because I think it's it's a fantastic uh, example of how something that we are told a, a, a received wisdom can be turned on its head. The idea, of course, that um, that lack of visibility is an obstacle is is absolutely true. I mean, the less people you see of your own who represent you, uh, the less confident you feel in in speaking about your experience at all. But here we have uh, Govin, who is a classical dancer, saying that. Uh, you know, the lack of visibility in the community enables a kind of naivety instead that there is a lack of preconceptions, that people don't have fixed ideas, people don't have an established way of thinking about what big gay means. And he found this enabling. And when I heard this, I, I was slightly surprised, I must say, because I've always been slightly more uh, politically oriented. I've always been saying things like, ah, oh, there should be more people saying things. There should be more people talking about their experiences. There should be more people in the media where, you know, where, where, our, where our particular situation is explained. But uh, Govin sort of looked at the obverse or spoke to the obverse of that particular notion. The idea that actually not having these particular, not having very specific notions about what it means to be gay or lesbian is actually fine because I have my parents who have no preconceptions about it. I have my uh, uncles and aunts who have no preconceptions about it. And I thought that was interesting. Um, it's not necessarily something that you can take away and, and, and you know, uh, uh, 
and, and it's not something that obviates the other issues that exist, but it is a dimension that I think um, is something that I haven't encountered personally before, but I think it's interesting. Um, Alright, so the next two bits are about coming out, and I'm just going to play the segments because what they talk about is so personal that I, I, I wouldn't be able to repeat it in, in, in summary form. But I do have a few things to say about coming out as Indian to Indian parents, to Indian families. Oh, um, it was a, a roller coaster. So, um, you know, initially um, they were they would say the things like, you know, um, you are a son, we're going to love you no matter what. But then the emotions would come in, the trauma. Um, some of it was quite hurtful as well. Um, I remember my father saying, this can't be so, um, you know, I'd rather be dead or probably kill myself if my son's gay. Um, my mother was like, you will be the death of us. Um, so there were really dramatic moments as well. Um, but at the same time, they were trying to be understanding. They were coming to terms with something new that they haven't been exposed to um, before that as well. Um, and it was a mixed bag, like it was a mixed um, bag of emotions and, um, and it's still continuing, like at this stage they aren't, let's say, um, they know about it, they may have accepted it, but it's always something that's not spoken about um, for now. Do you know other people who like happen to be also Indian Australian or uh, other Asian Australians who have experienced like similar difficulties in getting their parents to accept who they are. Definitely, um, there've been like a, a few of my a fair few of my friends who um, have come across similar um, circumstances, but also some more extreme circumstances as well. So one of my friends recently, um, he didn't come out, but he was um, outed and um, he was kicked out of home. So he was looking at home and he's been kicked out of home. So, um, yeah, it's quite unfortunate, but um, it's a real. Um, coming out can be a difficult experience at the best of times, but um, within an Indian family, I would say it, it takes on so much more um, this, the tensions are so much greater and I think the possibility of losing out on very precious relationships are so much greater as well. And I think Bass talks about it in, in, in you know, he, he's, he's quite pragmatic about his experience with his parents. He said, oh, my parents were dramatic and they said, you know, you'll be the death of us and that kind of thing. But I think for a lot of people, a statement like that can be absolutely devastating. And um, there is that question of negotiating uh, the language of coming out with your parents. And that's something that I don't think people have been able to uh, resolve for themselves. I mean, Indian friends that I have. How do we come out to our parents when, when, when the language that we come out in is so antagonizing, is so, uh, is so provocative, is so, uh, it leads to such uh, dramatic uh, statements of rejection and that kind of thing. How do we come out in a way using, a uh, using uh, words and using language that does not antagonize, that does not create conflict, 
that is more um, that 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 is more equanimous in a sense. Um, the other side of coming out is is the fact that it actually doesn't happen in a lot of for a lot of Indian gay and lesbian people. Uh, th there's there is no coming out. A lot of the people that I spoke to in this documentary had not necessarily come out to their parents. They just were, and it was acknowledged. Their parents sort of understood that they were gay because they were not doing the conventional things that they were expected to do, but there was no explicit recognition of the fact. There was no explicit statement of the fact. And uh, as it happens, that's the case with me as well. There's just a silent acknowledgement that's always problematic because it can, it's fraught, you know, at any moment it can rupture. Your parents will ask you a question that's deliberately aimed at uh, a sort of rupturing the silence around sexuality. But um, yeah, silence is a very common way of dealing with it, not, not talking about it. And yeah, so sometimes I think about solutions. For me, it's all about solutions. And, and I think in what language could we express ourselves <coughs> that is not antagonizing, that is not uh, necessarily conflict-ridden? And I think that's sort of brought out the conflict-ridden side of it. The other thing is um, what Raina had to say. Raina is also an Indian-Australian uh, girl. She's a, a lesbian woman, and she's based in Melbourne. Oh, I have to say that the people I interviewed were of different generations, so different ages and different, uh, different, you know, different circumstances in life. Um, Raina took her coming out to a slightly different level. She was so, she had so much angst about her sexuality and her relationship with her parents, she decided to come out publicly. My dad and my sister, they've always been very accepting. Um, my mum, when I came out as bisexual, she thought I was going through some strange uni stage and that I would grow out of it. She wasn't happy about it, but she, you know, thought it was just a phase, so thought I'd get over it. Um, and then when I had this relationship, that was when I guess she needed to kind of deal with the reality that her daughter fucks women. <laughs> um, and so yeah, she was very homophobic. Yeah, that was very difficult for me because, yeah, like I guess in, in our culture, family is really central. Like we, we, we're not, I don't know, like, I don't, like our, our culture is less sort of individualistic than I guess Western culture is. And um, it's like family is like the relationships, you know, families of all other kind of relationships and they have priority over other other relationships and to have that um, yes that was very confronting for me to deal with and having to choose between you know two people who I love dearly like my girlfriend and my mom that was really difficult and over time like mom was really awful like she was really awful um, but over time, she somehow came to accept my partner because she was able to see that, oh, okay, she's freaking awesome. <laughs> um, but also that she could see how happy she made me and, um, and also the various enormous ways in which she would support me and look after me. And so my mum came to you know, respect and become quite fond of 
my partner, and was actually quite upset when he broke up. So, so that was really nice to have, um, you know, eventually that kind of closure in, in my, um, in that grief, because that was a really awful thing to be dealing with. Um, I found it really hard. I did my Arrogeton in Wominiato, that's my debut solo fully recital that we, that's a traditional part of, um, I guess, being um, Wominiato dancer. And I did that in 2010. And during my speech, which I, you know, I thank people or whatever, I, I acknowledged my partner. And that was like, yes, yeah, so I essentially came out of my Arrogeton in front of how many people? Over 3,000 people there. Yeah, so my community, like my Fijian community, my, my relatives, my the um, classical Indian music and dance scene, my dance school, everyone. They didn't already know it, and they knew now. <laughs> and that was a, my mum suspected that I was going to be doing that. And we had a massive fight about it, like two nights prior to my arrogation, which was quite distressing. But she, um, you know, later apologised, which was which was nice. But yeah, like having that um, coming out of my arrogation is yeah something I'm really quite proud of doing. Like I think that took a lot of strength, and it was a huge risk because I didn't know what the consequences of that would be. Like would I be, um, you know, exiled from my various communities, would I still be welcome at um, at these places at my dad's? So yeah, uh, public coming out is something that is inconceivable to me, but obviously I think uh, there is a certain attachment that she had to the idea of speaking to her community, acknowledging her partner, and um, I thought it was a very interesting uh, interesting observation, uh, interesting narrative. Um, so each of these people spoke to me for at least an hour and I had to pick up snippets from their, from their conversations to fit into an hour-long uh, show. So I, I, had, I picked very specifically and um, yeah, this to me was something that was surprising because I had never heard of anybody doing something like this. But yeah, it was unique and it was, uh, it was interesting. Um, the other thing that was part of the show that we talked about was the idea of racism and the idea of not being able to form relationships and friendships with other gay people. And uh, this is something that a lot of people have published articles about. So when I first came to Australia in 2012, I remember, the actually it's odd, the first thing I read was an avalanche of articles about uh, sexual racism, which is uh, people sort of uh, being hostile towards so for example, on, on online dating apps, uh, there was a lot of no Asians, no Indians written on profiles, and it was you know, very explicitly stated. And in fact, I think people said that it was, it was there, there was so much of it that it was just virtually difficult, it was impossible to ignore. Uh, but that has kind of, in my experience, that has kind of disappeared, because I think people are more conscious of what they say on, on these social dating apps and stuff like that. But yes, so racism and the idea of being able, the idea of obstacles in the way of forming relationships. Even within the gay community, there's a lot of um, resistance or uh, not resistance, maybe a lot of uh, hesitance to um, 
interact with people who are not perceived as being mainstream. Does that translate to racism as well? Oh, well, I had this conversation the other day. I don't really think it is consciously something. I think racism is a very strong term. I think a lot, a lot of it is to do with just um, hesitance or just not knowing. I think a lot of people, because of not being exposed to a lot of people from other places, I think people struggle to understand what they, how they should interact and what they should say, maybe that person doesn't understand my joke, so maybe he doesn't get the, you know, the Monday everyday conversation, <laughs> or be different for that person, you have to change your tone, or to have to speak. I think a lot of people don't really want to do that. They, I think it's a big effort for them. So I think people, I'm not generalizing it. There are, of course there are, I'm not problematizing, but there are a lot of people who don't do it, but I'm saying a lot of people easy to just stay in the mainstream rather than make so much effort to include somebody else. A lot of people would ask what do Alright, so yeah, so so conversations about how we form friendships with others, how we form relationships with others when when there are so many barriers in the way and not necessarily things that are uh, I mean it's hard it's these are things that are subliminal. You can't, you can't deal, you can't negotiate them uh, in online spaces. Uh, you can't negotiate them carefully enough in the, in the real world. But yeah, that, that was another aspect of uh, the documentary that I made. A lot of people had experiences to relate in, in that, uh, about that topic. Um, something that is obviously a part of any conversation about Indian culture, Indian migrant culture, is the idea of marriage. And um, this is, of course, uh, ubiquitous concern. Everybody was talking about marriage and how their families still negotiated, grappled with the idea of marriage uh, in spite of their sexuality. Uh, do we work and all that? I have gay friends who still live in India and one time, one day, they married her. I mean, I don't know uh, if that's a good thing or not. Ekbar tried to go down and stuff like that, and maybe children do do that. Because you know what, we are social after all. If everyone's telling me that, you know what, eat this, eat this, eat, I'm gonna eat it. Because you know, you probably, it, it is a society where there, there are average marriages and stuff like that, and more than 80%, I don't know the stats, but I'm um, This is actually a bit long, so because I'm running out of time, I'm just gonna pick out specific portions. Um, and because marriage is so important, everybody's talking about it. All right, so let's see. But I think that the mindset of an Indian man, woman, child has, has evolved tremendously. People have become far, far, far more tolerant. Uh, and not just tolerant, but welcoming. Uh, they're embracing gay uh, people. Um, but, like I said, on the, on the inside, that's one side. The other side is, I wish gay men uh, came out into the open and stood up for themselves. That would stop a lot of marriages and would stop a lot of uh, unnecessary turmoil, not just in their lives, but in the life of the girl that they would get married and the families associated with that. And that's the problem, isn't it? That is a huge problem. Yeah, that is emotional blackmail from parents. 
there is an emotional uh, blackmail from the society, uh, there is pressure from the society, there is pressure from family, and I completely understand for the ones who fall prey to it, and I'm saying fall prey to it because I've had the same, and I've been able to stand up and say, no, I'm not interested in getting married. And I know people who continue to say that, but I know people who fall prey for it, and, uh, but I just wish them luck. I wish them all the best. There's nothing more you can say to you know, and hope that they, you know, they stick to a decision that they have made, because uh, for me, marriage is sacred, and I think it's really important that you stay honest and truthful to your partner. I hope that that happens. Whilst my head says, I know that's not going to happen. I don't know, but this is more true of people, migrants from India who have come here. Um, there's a lot of pressure from their families to get married, and marriage is a very important uh, social sort of obligation that every son and daughter is expected to fulfill. Um, there's a lot of, you know, there's constant uh, pressure from the family and from society, you know, which includes relatives, friends, to get married at some point. Um, is that true of Indian Australians as well? Like, is there pressure to get married? And how does a gay partnership or gay relationship sort of fit in with that, or does it contradict that? I can only speak from my perspective, um, but in my household, growing up, there was, you know, you would follow that social norm. You will get married, you will have children. Um, and it was an expectation, a requirement, um, and it still is, especially for my younger brother who is straight, um, and it's what's expected. I guess it's not your tip, your stereotypical arranged marriage scenario that you that people um, often associate with, but um, it is almost yeah, a, a requirement or assume that you will get married, you will settle down, you will have children um, in due time. Um, as a gay man, it does um, some of the concerns that my parents were facing with when they were trying to accept my sexuality. Um, often it, was, it wasn't even, they weren't even thinking about themselves, it wasn't. They were accepting, but they were concerned about what will the society think or the community. Um, I should mention that my parents are quite involved in the Indian community in, in Melbourne. So they know a fair few contacts, um, and I am known as yeah, this person's son by a lot of people around in Melbourne as well. Um, and yeah, that did affect um, how they came to terms with my sexuality. Right, so yeah, marriage and Indian families, we could talk about this for eons. But uh, yeah, so it's, it's still very much a concern. And what, what Bass said towards the end is resonates so deeply with me. It's your parents aren't thinking specifically of themselves. They're thinking about everybody else around them. It's not just, you know, it's not what they want for you. It's what everybody else around them wants for you as well. And I think a lot of us would be able to relate to this. Because I'm running out of time, I will quickly go to the next two uh, snippets. This is something that's really interesting, self-explanatory, so I'll just play it. They can or cannot be. Absolutely, yeah. And I think the experience of our parents as migrants um, translates to their experiences as parents of queers because 
you know, they've been able to abandon a thought or an idea or a place or an attachment and reattach to something new in the process of migration. Um, and that is such a big part of their life story that when they're met with needing to abandon a previous concept they have about their child and adopting a new one, um, or saying, well, here is the new concept and I need to make the most of it, much like they did when they came to Australia. Um, I just, I see the, the parallel in the behaviour um, of that generation being able to do that. So I think, you know, there's a big question of positivity for queer youth that are culturally that, you know, have a lot of faith in the, in the power of the migratory experience that the parents had. Um, and, you know, there are, we can reflect that experience into how they start to accept um, your identity or queer identity because it's their possible, their powerful individuals. All right, so um, something very interesting that uh, Govin, who's, who's a classical dancer, said, uh, have faith in, 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 the, in the power of the migratory experience your parents had. They were able to uh, break up, they were able to leave past attachments and form new attachments. And he said that it is possible for them to think about you in a different way because they are, that, that's been part of their migratory experience. And um, I thought that was very interesting. And that is definitely true of his parents because he is married to his partner and his parents organized this beautiful ceremony for him, uh, which was really stunning to watch, to be honest. And the fact that they were able to do this, you know, this public ceremony with, with Indian traditions and everything, uh, with, with his friends and with the family is, is, uh, is a wonderful example as an illustration of how you could form new attachments around ideas. Um, so, this is basically the end. Uh, the last snippet is, is uh, the last little bit is, is, is something that uh, Sam, who is uh, Sam, said. And I thought it was very important. It's in Hindi, so uh, for those who do understand, it would be, yeah, and apologies for those who don't. I, I could translate it basically at the end. <laughs> अगर आप दुनिया से डरेंगे तो दुनिया आपको डराएगी अगर आप दुनिया से नहीं डरेंगे अगर तो यू विल बी सरप्राइज कि दुनिया आपसे डरने लगेगी मैंने देखा जिस दिन मैंने अपना परसेप्ट कर लिया उस दिन के बाद मुझे आज तक कभी भी डर नहीं लगा कि मैं ये क्यों खाऊं कि नहीं खाऊं मैं आई कैन से इट ओपनली तो मेरे लिए ऐसा इशू नहीं है मैं अपना कोई ये सोचता ही नहीं कि मैं गेम मैंने कभी सोचा ही नहीं कि मैं गेम If you don't accept yourself, uh, nobody else can accept you. And if you're scared of the world, then the world will scare you. But if you're not afraid of the world, 
then the world will, well, he said, be afraid of you, but what he meant is respect you. Um, and I, I thought that was a great takeaway message to end uh, my documentary with and, and this presentation with. So thank you and uh, thanks for listening. This presentation is brought to you by the Australia India Institute, based at the University of Melbourne.